You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and it's our members' mailbag. Almost said that completely wrong. Members' mailbag. There you go. Uh, looking very much forward to taking you guys' questions from the members' Discord server and having a good old chingwag about all different things. Because there are, as always, a wide variety of different questions, some interesting questions, some nostalgic questions, some questions relatable to where Arsenal are at in the present day. Lots and lots to get through, as always. And I just want to start off by thanking the members of the channel for, A, your support, of course. Um, you know, it really does mean the world to me. And as I've said to you guys uh, a million and one times, um, you know, you guys supporting the channel means that me as a freelancer, I get to spend more time uh, working on it. I get to spend more time on this podcast without worrying about, um, you know, that little bit of additional income. So I, I really do appreciate it. I know I say it all the time, but I want to say it again. Um, so thank you to each and every one of you who is currently signed up as a member of the Chronicles of Aguna family. If you're not signed up and you want to be, you can click on the link in the description, or if you're watching on YouTube via your computer, you can click the join button below the video. We'd love to have you. Now, although the questions on this show are put together by the members, are dictated by the members, that doesn't mean that if you're not a member, you're not welcome in the chat box throughout the show, and that you're not um, welcome in the chat box ever you know it's one big family and i know that not everybody is able to support so just being here just being part of the family is something that i really really do appreciate as well uh so please do not feel like if you're not a member that you can't participate in the chat box during these shows and that you can't um participate in in other things that we do as well so uh yeah cool let's get into it then let's dive into uh the first question Let's take this one from Mr. Joe, who says, uh, I want to start this by making it clear this is not an Arteta put down. However, do you think that ultimately the club will look back at the Guendouzi situation and his performances in Marseille as a misstep? He was a pup and Mikel Arteta wasn't or isn't capable of dealing with difficult players. But given just how solid he's been in France, did we give up on him too early? and for only £9 million. Did we give up on Matteo Genduzzi too early? Will we look back on the Matteo Genduzzi thing, if you like, and regret it? I'm not sure. Um, I've got to be honest. I think that Matteo Genduzzi surprised a lot of people, shocked a lot of people, stunned a lot of people when he walked into the Arsenal team and looked instantly as if he'd been there for years. I think if we're being honest, you know, he took everybody by surprise with how confident he was. But Sometimes overconfidence, it can mask incompetence. And, and and I think that's true in a lot of walks of life. I mean, if you go, let's say for argument's sake, into a barber shop and the barber isn't very good, but talks the talk, 
he's done half the job in terms of pulling the wool over your eyes just by being that confident character. And you're not going to question it. Whereas if he stands there looking nervous, kind of pondering over what it is he needs to be doing, then you're going to start to doubt his quality, his ability. And I think this is something that we see in football as well. I think sometimes a player's character, sometimes their their nature, sometimes their overconfidence can mask actually um, what their level is. And and I think that there's a lot of that with Matei Genduzi. I thought tactically, at times, he showed himself to be very immature. I thought his positioning wasn't always up to scratch. Um, I thought that he got sucked in way too often uh, when it came to silly things like arguments and responding to, you know, this, that and the other. I, I just found him a little bit petulant, a little bit childish. But because he was all action and because he'd come in and started really strongly and and had shown himself to be at a level probably above what anybody expected, that the estimation of Matteo Genduzzi, I think, was was elevated. Has he been that good in France with Marseille? I think he's been OK. It's a much weaker league and it's a very, very different team. So I'm not going to say that he would start in Arsenal's side. I don't think he would. I don't think he starts ahead of Partey or Xhaka um, in that current eleven. So what would he have been? He would have been a squad player and a squad player that doesn't seem to have the right attitude, a squad player that Mikel Arteta was always going to be on a collision course with just because of how strict he is about certain things and because of how, uh, you know, important discipline is to him. So, I actually don't think we've made all that much of a mistake. Will Matteo Genduzzi go on to play for a bigger club than Marseille? I don't think so. Are Marseille a bigger club than Arsenal? I don't think so. So actually, he's you know he's moved to Marseille, who are a big club, don't get me wrong, but he's not stepped up. And I don't believe that he'll ever make that step up to that next level, i.e. I don't think he'll be playing for a Real Madrid, a Liverpool, a Man City, a Bayern Munich or, or any of those clubs anytime soon. So I know I've gone around the houses a little bit, but do I think we'll regret the Matteo Genduzzi decision? Probably not. But if we do slightly, letting him go was still for the greater good because it meant that we it was the beginning of getting out the bad characters and weeding them out of the changing room. And it really, really needed to happen. So I won't be looking back on it with any regret because partly because I don't think that Genduzi is ever going to get to that level where we'll be looking on um, at him with envy. And look, if the manager continues to make the correct calls and the more he makes those correct calls, the more we will look at things like Matteo Genduzi and, and and start to see them as more and more insignificant as time passes. So no, not, not too stressed about that one. I got to say, uh, Trev says, Harry, do you think we'll win a European title before we next win the league? If so, why? I think there's a good chance that we do win a European title before we win the league. Yeah. Um, will it be the Champions League? Probably not. Um, I don't think we're we're anywhere near that level at this stage. And so it would be foolish of me to get carried away and say that, yeah, you know, we're going to win the Champions League in the, the next few years. Could we win a Europa League? Absolutely. Um, been to a couple of semi-finals and a final. You know, we've gotten very close in the past. I think that it's a competition in which we you know, when we were participating, we were always one of the favourites. The thing with the European competitions and the European titles is that although they're called the Europa League and the Champions League, they're not leagues, they're cup competitions. And so they're easier to win than a 38-game Premier League title is. You know, to, to win the Premier League title, you have to be incredibly consistent 
over a really long period of time. Whereas in, in Europe, if you get the right draw, if you have your good nights and your strong nights on the right nights, you can end up uh, going very, very far in the competition. So I think it is very possible that Arsenal win a uh, European competition before they win a league. I, I think so anyway. Uh, let's take this one from Creambone. Uh, it's a nostalgic one. I do like these. He says, um, Harry, another nostalgic poser. Top five Arsenal cult heroes. Not a legend, but in your opinion, someone who loved or was proud to wear the shirt and who gives you a warm, squiggly feeling when you remember them. So he's listed a few cult heroes of his in, in the question. Emmanuel Ebue, Lucas Podolski, Theo Walcott, Stuart Taylor. Um, <laughs> uh, Alan Sunderland. So for me, cult heroes are Thomas Rosicki. Got to be in there for me. Incredibly talented player who was just hamstrung by injuries. Uh, for me, when I watched Thomas Rosicki play and he was at his brilliant best, I can't remember many players that I enjoyed watching more than him. Probably in the last, you know, in the Emirates Stadium era. So love Thomas Rosicki, really big fan of his. He definitely goes into that category for me. Lucas Podolski too. Absolutely love Lucas Podolski. Love Emmanuel Abue as well. Um, Matteo Flamini was a bit of one of those for me because he always gave his all. You know, at times the quality wasn't there. At times he was lacking in terms of his overall ability, but just effort, work rate, loved it. Um, Julio Baptista goes into the cult hero bit for me uh, because, of course, he uh, produced some really important and really uh, top quality goals. And the other player that I want to throw in there, um, and, you know, some might say that this doesn't really fall into the cult hero category, but I think it probably does. Eduardo da Silva. Remember Eduardo, the striker, Croatian-Brazilian uh, striker who came in and obviously suffered that horrible, horrible injury, which really did stunt his career and development at Arsenal. But yeah, he goes into that category for me as well. So there's quite a few, uh, but some really, really good names in the question as well. But Thomas Rosicki for me is the, the first one that came uh, to my mind. Uh, Joe says, uh, what's the strangest, most unusual match day superstition or ritual you've ever heard of? And do you have any yourself? I've heard of a lot of weird ones. So I'm not going to go into too many of those because people can say all kinds of left field stuff in this. But me, my brothers and my dad had a really weird uh, pre-Arsenal match ritual. And it was something that we did throughout the Invincible season. So I'm convinced that it, it played a part. I'm convinced it had the power. Now, this is going to sound really weird. So, you know, forgive me in advance here. But basically, um, there was a, there's a former Cypriot president uh, called Archbishop Magarios, who was a uh, a, a leader of of the church as well. He was a religious leader, but he was also the president of Cyprus when they became independent um, back in the 60s. And for some reason, I, I don't know how, my dad came home one day with this big poster of him, a poster of his face. And it was like, I think it was A3 size and it was rolled up in a tube and we used to unroll it. And basically, uh, and, and this is weird because none of us are overly religious. None of us are, uh, you know, are overly into politics. 
but we had this poster and I, and I, I still need to, I still can't remember where my dad got it from. I think a customer of his or something gave it to him. If that's the story I remember correctly, but he had this a three poster of Archbishop Magarios, who, as I say, was a former president of Cyprus, but also uh, a religious leader as well. And for some reason, at the start of the season, we decided that, or my dad decided that we should pass it around the room before the game kicked off. And everybody had to kiss it for luck. Everybody that was watching the game, everybody that was in the room when we were watching the game, had to kiss this poster. Now, bear with me. I know this sounds absolutely crazy, but we did it. And we kept going and we kept going and we weren't losing games. And yeah, we picked up a few draws along the way, but we were not losing football matches. And this became an obsession. By the time we got midway through the season, it was the biggest obsession I can ever remember us having. It got to the point where we were turning up to pubs because back in those days, in 2004, we didn't have, you know, streams and dodgy satellites and all of this at home. But there was one pub in the North London area just down the road from my house that if you went on a Saturday at 3 p.m., I think you paid a fiver to get in. You got one drink with that and you got access to go and watch Arsenal in action. So whenever Arsenal were away from home, we would do this. We would go down there um, and we would watch the game and we'd take it there with us as well. But then we were in a room with... 60, 70, 80 Arsenal fans. So now all of them had to kiss this bloody poster. So 15 minutes before kickoff, we'd start going around the room, getting people to kiss this poster. And people used to look at us like we were fucking batshit crazy. But it worked. Arsenal didn't lose a game that entire season. And we took it into the next season as well. Every time we watched a game, this poster had to be with us. I remember going to watch games that relatives house at friends' houses and leaving the house and remembering we'd forgot the poster and having to turn back to go and collect it. But of course, when the unbeaten run ended, the poster's uh, streak ended as well. And we did try bring it back to life again a few times, but it just didn't work. So um, yeah, that was our weird ritual. And um, yeah, anyone who who watched an Arsenal game with me during that time will remember exactly what I'm talking about. It was madness when I think about it now. Um, Mike Stavrou, how you doing, man? He says, what the F is that hat? You in the new series of Peaky Blinders. Style, son. You can't teach it. I'm having a bad hair day, man. And it was the closest hat. But it's style and you can't teach it. I'll teach you a thing or two, man. I've I realised yesterday on our podcast, those of you that watched it or listened to it will know what I'm talking about. There's a few lessons I need to be teaching you, Mike. Uh, really do. <laughs> um... Let's see uh, what else we got in the chat box in terms of these superstitions and rituals. Do you know what? Member or not member, get your superstitions, get your rituals in the chat. I'd love to hear uh, a few of those and we can share them. Uh, we can share them with the listener base. We all follow the Arsenal, says my dad's was walking horse manure outside the Highbury uh, Stadium before every game. Do you know what? You couldn't really avoid that, could you? Uh, back in those days. Um, Arthur says, uh, Illuminati. <laughs> uh, what else have we got? Um, <laughs> uh, JK Guna. Look, Mike started them all on the hat. What horse are you riding at Cheltenham next week? <laughs> Moss need the Cypress poster for the year end run. It, it's, it's dead, mate. It doesn't work anymore. Been trying to re bring it back to life for years, but it's, it's just not happening. Uh, Tariq Talk says, uh, he thinks he's from Brum, not South London. No, 
come on um <laughs> some of you like the hat some of you don't like the hat um Troy Jarvis says that's a cool hat geezer there you go some love for that at least Peeny Ween says my superstition is coming first in every chat box I can because so far we've won all the games I did it good keep it up <laughs> make sure you do it uh what else have we got Steve Stone with a good question interesting question would you ever like to see Spurs relegated bearing in mind we would have no North London derby to look forward to Steve I would pay good money to see Tottenham Hotspur relegated and the reason for that is because I just think it would be hilarious. I just think like, you know, we've had a privileged life, you know, in terms of being able to take the piss out of them. Um, you know, we've we've been able to do it ever since I was a kid. Um, you know, all my Tottenham supporting friends, family, you know, it, it's always been great banter and it's always been banter that we've been on top of because we've always been the bigger club, the better club, the more successful club of the two. I get what you're saying in terms of it takes away the North London derby, but the North London derby, until you've won it, is horrible. You know, the lead up isn't very cool anymore, uh, especially now that the playing field's levelled out a little bit more. Uh, the nerves kick in and I don't particularly enjoy that. In fact, I don't ever enjoy anything about a North London derby until it's over and we've won. So I think that I'd be quite happy for those North London derbies to take a hiatus because Tottenham, look, as much as we do take the piss out of them, are a massive club and would bounce back eventually. Uh, so we wouldn't, you know, lose them completely. But just to have them uh, jump out of the division or, or fall out of the division for a little bit would be hilarious, in my opinion. So, yeah, I'd take that. Let's take this one from uh, PM1 Guna, who says, for me and for most, Arson is the greatest Arsenal manager. But he did have flaws. He would very rarely adapt his tactics to counter the opposition. Recently, we have Marie and Xhaka saying how Mikel Arteta is a tactical master and can adapt our playing style to suit the opposition. So my question is, is Mikel Arteta more tactically aware than Arsene Wenger? Although that's not me saying that he's a better manager. So is Mikel Arteta a better tactical manager than Arsene Wenger? Well, I think it's too early to compare Mikel Arteta and Arsene Wenger just because of the longevity um, of Arsene Wenger's career and the unprecedented success that he led the football club to throughout those years. I, I think it's, un whatever way you look at it, it's unfair to say that Mikel Arteta is at Arsene Wenger's level just because of, of those factors that I've mentioned. But I will say that Mikel Arteta gives off the impression that he's much more tactically astute, much more tactically aware. But what I would say is this. Nowadays, it is more important to be the way Mikel Arteta is. You know, all the best managers at this moment in time are tactically geniuses. You know, your, your Pep Guardiola's, your Jurgen Klopp's, your Thomas Tuchel's, um, you know, these guys are tactically at a whole new level that in Arsene Wenger's heyday, late 90s, early 2000s, it wasn't so much about that. Motivation was probably, um, you know, something that you really needed to be able to to do and, and, and to, to give to your players. You needed to really be... Um, you know, kind of, you, to a degree, you needed to rule with an iron fist the way Alex Ferguson did. Um, Wenger did it in a different way. He was in complete control of every element and every aspect, but not in an, in such an aggressive way. 
um, in terms of his demeanour and how he used to come across. But I do think even people like Alex Ferguson, you know, had they been managing today, I think they would come unstuck against some of these, what I believe to be superior tacticians. Now, it's only natural that tacticians today get better and better because the game evolves and the game develops and they have the opportunity to look back at previous styles of play, at look back in history at what other great managers have done, implement certain elements of that, but also tweak it to suit their game models. I think, na- I think in general, the level of tactical sophistication in the modern game is much higher than it was in the late 90s and the early 2000s. So I think we needed to move with the times. And I think one of the criticisms a lot of us had of Arsene Wenger at the back end of his career was that he never did that, that he seemed to get stuck in this cycle. Now, that's not to say that tactically Arsene Wenger was clueless. And a lot of people used to say that. I always remember people saying, this guy's got no bloody clue. Tactically, he's all over the shop. He doesn't know what he's doing. You don't get to Arsene Wenger's level and you don't manage at that level successfully for as long as Arsene Wenger did if you're clueless. But I do acknowledge and take on and accept that the level of tactical sophistication in general is much higher now than it was in those days. So I think naturally for Mikel Arteta, it's more important that he is aware of that side of things and on top of that side of things than it would have ever been for Arsene Wenger. Also, Mikel Arteta's football is a lot more structured and our defensive shape in particular is a lot more rigid than anything we ever saw under Arsene Wenger or even Unai Emery. So I think that Mikel Arteta is a tactician. A lot of people say that his game management is not good and it's not up to scratch. A lot of people say that tactically he's still developing and he's still learning. Yeah, but if this is where he's at now, what, two and a half years into management, imagine where on earth he could be in five, six years' time. Because honestly, I'm so excited about the trajectory this manager is on and this team is on. Um, so so going back to the question and circling back to the question, is he more tactically aware than Arsene Wenger? Probably, but he needs to be because of the modern game. Just because he's more tactically aware doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be a more successful manager because there are other elements to management outside of tactics. You've got to be, as I say, motivational. You've got to get people to buy into what you're doing and your philosophy and your way. You also have to manage big characters. You also have to nurture young talent. And there's so many elements to, you have to be good at recruitment. There are so many elements to being a top, top manager that, you know, maybe Mikel Arteta is slightly ahead in that particular aspect, but it's unfair to say, uh, or, or to compare him to Arsene Wenger, in my view anyway, at this stage in his career. Uh, Wes Bird in the Discord server says, are you surprised at the way this season is going and impressed with Arteta's managerial pr- prowess or do you want more? Are you worried that we've leaked a few goals recently and maybe are still not scoring enough goals? Um, I am surprised at the way the season is going. I think that we're ahead of schedule. I think that for me, my, um, you know, my hope at the start of the season was that we'd finish in the top six. I wanted us to be close to the top four. And here we are now, you know, almost midway through March in in a lot of people's eyes, pole position to finish fourth. So that is obviously more than what I expected. So they have surpassed my expectations up until this point. But there's also still a long way to go. And we could quite easily still finish sixth. We could quite easily still finish seventh. So I'm not getting carried away. But at this moment in time, yeah, I'm happy with where we are. 
I think that he is developing as a manager. I think he's learning from week to week. I think there are mistakes that he made in the early stages that he doesn't seem to make anymore. Um, I think he's worked really, really hard to change the culture at the club. And we are now seeing the benefit of that. We are now seeing why he was right to be obsessed with discipline and character and all of those other things. So, yeah, um, I am pleased. I think that, you know, I don't think we have a problem creating chances anymore. I think we've improved on that in a lot uh, in a lot of ways. I am still worried that we're not clinical enough at times, though. I mean, take, for example, the game at Watford. And I know we scored three brilliant goals away from home. I mean, what more could you ask for? But you looked at that second half and you just thought, you know, you were standing there and you were thinking, why the hell haven't we added another? Why haven't we put this game completely to bed? You know, at 3-1, it's a comfortable lead and you feel like you're you're okay and you, you do naturally take your foot off the gas a little bit and start to wind down a little bit, maybe. But I just remember thinking when we got into those positions and we just tried to overplay it at times and we overthought certain situations and scenarios, I did think, come on, just end the game and then you can make your changes. You know, just, just get there, put the ball in the back of the net, finish it off and that will be that. But we weren't clinical enough in that situation. And that's happened to us in other games as well. I mean, Brentford, we had shit tons of chances. And then we go and concede a goal late on and it makes the scoreline look a lot more closer than the actual game was. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, I think that is a, a concern for sure. Let's take this one from Moss, who says, since you never fancied us beating Man United to fourth, do you believe now? And how do you now think the top six will pan out? You're right. At the start of the season and, and for most of the season, I, I didn't f fancy us to finish above Manchester United. And I still don't think that Manchester United are out of the race for fourth place, despite all their troubles and all their problems. Am I starting to believe? Yeah, I believe it's achievable. But do I believe it's done? No. Uh, it's still a long, long way to go. And listen, from the day Mikel Arteta took over, I have had people coming at me on social media on the chat box in this show, on, uh, you know, where, you know, people come up to me at Emirates sometimes and, and come at me and say, why do you give Mikel Arteta so much leeway? Why do you give Mikel Arteta or why do you cut Mikel Arteta so much slack? Why are you always more patient when it comes to Mikel Arteta than you were when it was Unai Emery? So when I was saying that I don't think that we're going to finish fourth or that it would be difficult to finish fourth or that Manchester United, in my view, are still the favourites. It's not because I don't want us to do it. Believe you me, there isn't a person in the world that wants Mikel Arteta's Arsenal to succeed more than I do. Partly because I want to see the club do well, mainly because I want to see the club do well. It's the club of my heart. But partly because I want to ram it down the throats of all those people that told me I didn't have a clue what I was talking about. That told me I was an idiot. That told me I was Arsenal's PR machine. That told me I was just begging for a job at the club. That's never where it came from. It always come from a place of genuine belief and from a place of, you know, wanting the club to do their very best and wanting the club to do well. So I do want to ram it down those people's throats. Therefore, I'm desperate for Arsenal to finish in the top four. But it's still not done. There's still a long way to go. And we've still got some very, very difficult fixtures to come. And that is why I'm not, I'm not, you know, getting carried away or 
um, counting my chickens before they've hatched. You know, that's that's where I'm at at the moment. Uh, let's take this one from uh, who else have we got? Uh, do 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 do. Uh, bear with me a second. I've just lost where I was in the Discord server. Um, here we go. Let's take this one from Chris Carrick. I calculated the average table position of our opponents and those of our rivals in the remaining fixtures, and it has me worried. Arsenal have the toughest schedule with an average table position of 9.6. So that's the teams that we're facing. Um, Liverpool 9.8, United 10.4, West Ham 10.9, Spurs 11.1, Chelsea 12.2. It really looks like it could come down to the North London derby. Should we be worried? Well, you know, as I keep saying, it's um, it's not done. Um, it's not done at all. It's um, it's it's something that we can achieve and is within our grasp. I, I don't really buy into that all too much. I, I know that you've done the research there, Chris, and I, and I get what you're saying that we are playing on average an opponent higher in the table each week than you know the rest of the guys. But at the end of the day there are fixtures between those teams. You know, like, for example, this weekend, Manchester United take on Spurs. Big game. Either both drop points, one drops points, or the other drops points. Like, it's a win-win situation for us as long as we do our job. And we are, of course, at home to Leicester City. A game that I think we, we should win or can win but a game that has the potential to be a difficult one as well. I know Leicester have had a shit season by their standards that they've set in the last few years, but they still have some good quality players in that team. So we've got to kind of just keep focusing on our job. And I would say, Chris, don't get sucked into the and fall down the rabbit hole of looking at what everybody else has to do. Just focus on Arsenal. Each week, let's do what we can. And then we'll look around and see what other people are doing. And then sometimes that will give us cushions opportunities whereby if we do drop points, it isn't the end of the world. Because not all of those teams that you've mentioned are going to win all of their games either. And sometimes things work in your favour. Sometimes they don't. And that's why I want to focus on our job first and foremost and make sure that we're doing our thing. But if we, you know, slip up on the odd occasion, this Premier League will give you opportunities to put that right. And that's why, for me, it was so big that we beat Wolves. And then it was so big that we beat Watford because teams in and around us had dropped points. And in years gone by, we'd watch teams around us drop points and then not be able to ourselves capitalise on those moments and really take advantage of them. But it looks as though we're in a much better position to do that now than we were in the past. So that's why there's a lot of encouragement. And that's why uh, people are feeling really positive about where we currently at, uh, where we're currently at, and um, and uh, you know, and people are feeling good about it. Okay, uh, gonna take uh, one or two more, and then do you know what? I'm gonna open it to the chat. I'm gonna take two questions from the chat. So make them good. Get them in the chat box now, um, and I will pick up two questions from the chat as well as our member questions. Uh, from the Discord server. Also, uh, don't forget, if you haven't done so already, please do click the like button. Let's try and get up to 100 likes. There are more than enough of you watching to help us get there. While you're getting those couple of questions in the chat box, I just want to quickly remind you that 
uh, we are currently teamed up with football prizes. So for your chance to win a Ben White signed and custom framed football boot, you can enter now by clicking on the link in the description for just £5.95. There's 65 tickets in the draw. So purchase yours for £5.95 and you will go into that prize draw of which details are on that web page. Check them out. Football prizes always coming up with brilliant Arsenal stuff. The last prize was a signed and framed Thierry Henry shirt. Now we've got a signed and custom framed Ben White football boot. Check it out. Football prizes. The link is in the description. We thank them for their support of the podcast, of course. Uh, also, subscribe to the channel if you are new. Uh, make sure you are involved um, uh, in the Chronicles of Aguna family. As I mentioned earlier on, if you want to be a member and you want to have your questions featured on our weekly members mailbag shows, all you need to do is click on the link in the description below or the join button. It is up to you. Um, a couple of bits uh, just to kind of tidy up. Uh, Tariq says, are you doing any commentary? Um, on flash score this week. I did the game last night between Sheffield United and Middlesbrough um, in the championship. Sheffield United winning, uh, running out 4-1 winners in that one. Really good performance from them. Uh, and I'm doing uh, Chelsea's game at Norwich on Thursday. Uh, also going to be doing a couple of watch-alongs this week because uh, I've found some gaps in my schedule, which is great. And I'm going to be watching the games anyway. And um, and so I thought I'd do them. I'm going to start by doing tonight's game between Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain. So you can come and join me for coverage of that from 7.45. Uh, we'll be live on the Chronicles of Aguna YouTube channel, taking you through that mega Champions League clash, which is, of course, finally poised. We'll also, because I'm not working on Saturday, be bringing you a watch-along of that game between Manchester United and Tottenham, a game that has huge implications for the Arsenal so, um, yeah, looking forward to that as well. Uh, cheers, Tariq. And make sure you check out Tariq's channel as well, by the way. Click on his name in the chat. It will take you straight there. Um, and make sure you're subscribed. There's some great watch-alongs and other stuff as well on Tariq's channel. I'm going to be joining him on Friday. Uh, so make sure uh, that you get involved uh, in that as well. So uh, please do check it out. Uh, Odradek sorry, says, uh, what do you think of this, Harry? Arsblog said maybe Tierney looks like he's playing bad because he's now surrounded by quality players. If it's put like that, I think it's a little bit harsh, but I don't know how Arsblog said it or or what he meant exactly or the context of that comment in particular. But um, I think that, yeah, look, he doesn't look as outstanding in a much stronger group of players as he did when we had a load of turd around him, let's be honest. Um, but we did a show just a couple of days ago on Kieran Tierney, the problem with Kieran Tierney right now, which I... I I'd say if you're if you're interested in my thoughts on Kiarantini, go back and check it out. Lots of um, lots of uh, detailed analysis there on the Kiarantini situation. So um, yeah, check it out. Uh, what else have we got? Louis Robinson. Uh, Louis Robson says, if we don't get top four, does Arteta get sacked or not? No, not for me. I think we've seen enough to suggest that this team is moving in the right direction now. Um, if we completely capitulate and finish 7th or 8th, then there's a conversation to be had. Uh, but if we narrowly miss out on the top four, then no, I wouldn't be pressing um, the eject button on Mikel Arteta's seat, put it that way. Uh, not for me. Uh, we'll take this uh, final question as well uh, from Brad Richardson, who says, what's your feeling on the Rashford to Arsenal links? Would you be happy with that? 
Not interested in the slightest. Don't want Marcus Rashford anywhere near Arsenal Football Club. Never really uh, rated Marcus Rashford, if I'm being honest. He's someone for me that um, is a bit of a pace merchant. Um, you know, good finisher at times as well. A bit like Theo Walcott in that um, sometimes he can be completely hopeless in front of goal and other times he's brilliant. Um, not for me. Man United connection puts me off as well. But I just think with Marcus Rashford, it's, it's the classic case of, well, he's English and he plays for England. And of course, he'd done lots of great things um, for school children during the whole pandemic thing. And for that, he deserves props. He really does. And, and I said it at the time, fair play to him for taking an issue that he's obviously experienced earlier on in his life and, and using his power and his voice and his position to do something about it. Fair play to Marcus Rashford for that. I'm not taking it away from him. But what did that do? That pushed Marcus Rashford's popularity and stock much higher and it wasn't necessarily based on his football ability. So I do think now we look at Marcus Rashford and the opinion of him, the general opinion of him is much higher because of all of that stuff, because of how much admiration people have for his work off the field. But when you're talking about Marcus Rashford, the footballer, I'm not sold on it. I'm not big on it. And I'm not interested uh, in bringing him to Arsenal. I, I just, I, I don't see where he fits. And no, you know, to get him away from Manchester United, you probably have to pay a lot of money as well. And I just think there's much better value out there on the continent and at other clubs that we're not in direct competition with. So no, not for me. Um, he's not a massive, like he's not an upgrade on Saka. You know, he's not. Do you want to play him at centre forward? I don't think he's game sophisticated enough uh, for him to play the hold up style that Alexander Lacazette does. Uh, just no, no, don't want him. Don't want him. Uh, but it's a good question, Brad, because it is a big subject at the moment. There's a lot of debate and a lot of discussion uh, going on about it at this moment in time. Right, we are going to leave it there. Thank you for all your brilliant questions in the Discord server and, of course, in the chat. Uh, don't forget, check out Football Prizes. The Ben White signed and custom frame football boot is available, I believe, until Thursday. So make sure you're involved in that uh, if you are interested in that particular product. It looks fantastic. Uh, I might be getting involved on that one myself. Uh, make sure you check out Football Prizes. Make sure you hit the like button. Make sure you are subscribed to the channel if you're new. And we'll be back later on this evening if you're a YouTube viewer for our live watch along of Real Madrid versus Paris Saint-Germain. Come join me for that. Catch you later. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.